Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Thank you all for coming. Uh, I hope this didn't interrupt anyone's golf game or mahjong game. Um, any questions? All right, listen, I'd like to start with questions. I don't know. Okay, so we're going to be talking today about cartoons of the Yiddish press. Uh, you may or may not know, I don't know how much you know about cartoons, uh, but uh, the history of, car of Jews and cartoons is complicated and problematic. The first times that Jews wound up in cartoons typically uh, was as the victim of the cartoonist. They were very negative and very anti-Jewish, very anti-Semitic. And this phenomenon begins in around the 12th, 13th century. And as printing technologies advance, uh, you have more and more uh, different kinds of materials becoming available. And because at this time, most people were illiterate, uh, it was found that using images was a much more valuable way to convey information. Usually, and usually it was combined with, with words as well. Uh, but one of the greatest purveyors of anti-Semitic caricature was the church uh, or church, you know, people who were, were connected to the church and who wanted to find some way to denigrate Jews. Uh, and Jews themselves, at the, you know, during the, this medieval period, uh, weren't involved in uh, drawing, painting the arts. Uh, you know, th there were obviously some Jews who, who did engage in this, but for the most part, as far as Jewish printed material went, it was very rare to see illustrations uh, of any kind in Jewish texts. Often you would have um, illuminated Haggadahs. That was, that was one of the more common places that you would find illustrations in a Jewish text. But, the vast, but, but in order to, to see or purchase an illuminated Haggadah, you had to be wealthy. And so the vast majority of Jews generally didn't see illustrations in, their, in the text that they were reading. Uh, and so as far as Jews and imagery was concerned, they did, as I said, wind up in anti-Jewish uh, illustration. And so I can show you a few examples. Uh, one of the more common types of illustrations is what's known as the Judenzau, or the, the Jew's pig. And so this is an, this is an image that shows, uh, you know, sort of a bunch of Jews cavorting around uh, a pig, you know, doing, you know suckling it. Um, poking it in the butt, doing all sorts of disgusting things. It's really, it's, it's quite awful. Um, 
One interesting thing that I can note here, though, is if you look at the faces of the people, they don't have the kind of anti-Semitic caricature faces, the caricaturized faces that, that have, have become associated with uh, cartoons of Jews. So how do we know these people are Jewish? How do we know these people are Jewish at all? Yeah, right. What's that? That's what I was going to say. Unless you couldn't read, the, would the identifier be the hats? Exactly. So okay. if, you look at, if you look at these hats, Jews were in certain places and certain times were required to wear a certain type of hat. And you'll find illustrations of Jews in which they're wearing them. And so this is from the 15th century. And this type of, this phenomenon of the Jews pig was relatively common and in throughout uh, Central Europe, in, in Germany and Austria, you can find a lot of churches that have frescoes, like almost like sculptures on the outside of the church um, with this kind of image. It's really, it's, they're, they're, it's, they're pretty amazing. Uh, this is another example, and um, you have, it's the same sort of phenomenon, and I, you, it's a little bit dark, but it's the same kind of thing. It's a, this is a better, you know, the artist, this is a better quality artist. But you can also see that the, the, the people in the, um, you know, the people that are, are supposed to be represented as the Jews don't really have this kind of, you know, enormous noses, and they, 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 they sort of look like regular people, and in, in in this case, you could see this little circle right here. It's not, it's not the horns, but like this, this little circle is a badge. And in this time and place, Jews were required to wear badges. It's a precursor to, it's a precursor to the yellow star. So that's how they're identifiable as Jews. And this image is interesting because uh, not only do you have the image itself to sort of represent how, you know, disgusting and... and nefarious the Jews are supposed to be, but in case the, the, the viewer can read as well, you have, uh, you have the text in German and in French. And if this image with the pig isn't horrible enough, right here at the top, you have an image of Simon of Trent, which is one of the first blood libel uh, trials, where the Jews were accused of, uh, of killing a, a baby boy and using his, his blood to make matzah. So, uh, so it, you know, it's sort of like, this is like a tour de force of anti-Semitism. Do, do, we, do we assume that most of them did believe that Simon of Trent had been killed by Jews? No, I think the evidence in, in all blood libel cases, the, the, if, if a person was in fact killed, it was not killed by Jews. No, it was, but did, do you think most of the people there thought that? Oh, of course. Of course. This, they, well, this is what they were being told. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you have, you have to, you have to remember, right? You have to remember that an image like this. So, you know, this is from the 1700s, and an image like this, first of all, was relatively rare. Something like this would have been put up in a town square for people to look at. It would put up, on, you know, on the side of a church. So, as a result, it has some, it has a kind of authority. It also, and especially if it's, put, if it's put up on the side of a church, it has the authority of the church, and people believe the church. People in charge of this believed it. Of course, I mean, of course. They weren't deliberately falsifying. I mean, in, 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 invariably, there were some people that were deliberately falsifying it, uh, but the message was, 
you know, believed by, by the viewers in general. I mean, people didn't come out and say, this is absolutely not true. The only people who were saying that were the Jews who were victimized by this. Yes, and that's exactly why they use this, because it, it, it portrays them as hypocrites. Uh, and obviously, the whole, none of it is true, but, you know, but this is, these are the images that were presented to, you know, to, the, to people in, in, you know, in Europe uh, in order to denigrate Jews. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, you know, in these two examples, the, the, the images of the Jews don't look, you know, they, they, they're essentially dressed and they look like other people. There's no physical indication that they're Jewish other than, the, other than these badges. Um, but uh, as time goes on and as Jews begin to assimilate and acculturate into, uh, into European cultures, they had to devise new ways in order to portray Jews negatively. And the way they did this is by creating a kind of physical caricature, focusing mainly on the nose. And so this uh, caricature, uh, which is from a magazine published in Munich in 1851, which shows a Jew celebrating uh, the fact that he was given citizenship, uh, so in 1848, Jews were given citizenship uh, in, in Germany. And uh, so what, they, what, they've, what the cartoonist has done is, is dressed the Jew up in a, in a traditional Bavarian outfit. Uh, and the only way that you know he's Jewish is by looking at his nose. That becomes the major indicator of Jewishness. And, and this is really the beginning of this kind of physical anti-Semitic caricature that, that, you know, that accentuates uh, you know, what are perceived as Jewish physical characteristics. And you wind up with all kinds of very creative ways that they're portrayed. Um, so you know, this shows a woman who's you know, playing the harp, very refined, but it's, you know, I mean, it's amazing how, how horrible, but also in a way creative this is. Uh, it's it's really it's quite shocking, and then you have all. Wait, the bottom part was her tail. No, no, she's sitting. She's sitting. The bottom part is is her shoe, and then the left is is she's sitting on a goose. Um, and these are you know throughout the 19th century, you the, these become more and more part of popular culture. These these images of the Jews. Uh, you know, where they're portrayed, you know, terribly negatively, uh, and where the nose is like the, is really the major, the major characteristic. And you have them in, in Germany. You have, this is an example from France. Um, and this is, uh, I believe, just a year before the Dreyfus trial. Uh, so, what does that mean? La libre parole means the free word, the free word. Um, this was, the man who published this, uh, his name was Edouard Drummond, and he was a notorious anti-Semite. I believe he was the, um, one of the founders of uh, what was called the Anti-Semites Political Party. It was a political party based entirely on anti-Semitism. Uh, so, and he published this magazine that was you know, a very anti-Jewish anti magazine. Uh, and this is, uh, 
This is another example from Vienna, um, you know, in connection that was uh, uh, related to the Dreyfus affair. Uh, now, at this time, you know, throughout the 19th century, the Jews themselves had very little, uh, or they had, they had far fewer periodicals and far fewer uh, artists that uh, could portray themselves. There was, there was no real, um, you know, very, the, the Yiddish press, Yiddish was the most common Jewish language. Um, you know, other languages that Jews published in, whether it be German or French or English, uh, these uh, books and periodicals, magazines that, that, and newspapers that Jews were publishing generally were not illustrated. It was, it was very rare if um, a, a Jewish uh, newspaper or magazine of the period uh, was illustrated. And I could just show you an example. Uh, this is the first uh, page of the first issue of uh, the first Yiddish newspaper in the Russian Empire. It's called Kol Mavasar which means Voice of the Herald, it started publishing uh, in October 1862. And what you see is, this is a four-page newspaper, and it's all text just like this. It was just, you know, no images whatsoever throughout its entire run. It lasted to uh, 1873. Um, one just interesting aside that has nothing to do with cartoons is that this article right here on this first page is about the American Civil War. Uh, which is interesting because uh, this is probably the first time that Yiddish readers in the Russian Empire, which is the largest Jewish community in the world, uh, you know, ranges from about four to five million Jews. Uh, this is probably the first time they're ever reading about America. It's not, you know, the, the great emigration hasn't begun yet. That doesn't start till the 1880s. And so... Uh, the, the writer here is telling them about the American Civil War, and it's described, which it's really kind of naive, um, but it's also uh, pretty accurate. Uh, the writer says that um, we don't know much about this new country, America. I mean, in 1862, America was, the United States was relatively new. Um, you know, we don't know much about this new country, America, but... Um, uh, we heard that it's, it's pretty good. They don't seem to care if you're a Jew or a Christian. Uh, it's, they don't have a king. It's something called a republic. And every four years, the mayors of all the big cities get together and elect what's called a president. So they don't get it exactly right. But, you know, they sort of, because they don't live in a democracy and they don't vote and they have no idea, they have no conception of what that could possibly be. So it's, you know, it's something he's trying to present in something entirely new to the readers. Uh, he also adds that um, the country is run by businessmen and they control everything. So not much has changed since 1862. <laughs> um, and so as, you know, as time goes on, and interestingly, the, um, the Russian government, the Tsarist uh, government, did not want Jews to have a free press. Obviously, the press in the Russian Empire is not free at all, but most uh, requests to publish Yiddish newspapers were rejected. This one was accepted, and it, obviously this newspaper was completely censored. It, they, had to, they had to provide copies of the text before... Uh, before publication, uh, and that's just the way it was through the, through the entire 19th century until um, 
the, the government eventually had to relent in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, and so, as I said, this, this newspaper, Kulmavasar, ran from 1862 to 1873. The, there was no Yiddish newspaper for the largest Yiddish-speaking community in the world from 1873 to 1881. And then another, uh, another newspaper, another weekly came about that was this one. It's called Yiddish's Volksblatt. Uh, this was published in St. Petersburg. This, just uh, for posterity's sake, was published in Odessa. Uh, this started coming out in 1881. It was a sort of literary-oriented weekly. Um, this, I believe, was the first place that Sholem Aleichem, uh, whose stories uh, 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 Fiddler on the Roof is based, uh, he, this is the first place that he was published. Uh, and But as you see, there are no images. There's nothing... Um, you know, the, the, one of the reasons that there are no images in the, the Yiddish newspapers of this period is that um, there were more writers, there was only one weekly newspaper available. And so there were more writers than space that could be published. And so an image takes up necessary space in a newspaper. And so they think that they just didn't include them at all as a result of that. Now, there were a couple of places that images did appear, and that was on... Um, in Yiddish pulp literature. These were like little six, eight to 16 page booklets that had funny stories and jokes in them. And so this, on the, on the left, you see Der Witzling, which is the Joker. And this is, uh, and on the right is a, actually it's, it's kind of an epic, epic poem. It's called Der Schicker oder die Machloikes zwischen dem Trinken und dem Schnaps, which means the title of this is The Drunk, uh, or the war between Mr. Drinker and the whiskey. And it's, a, like, it's sort of a funny, it's a long poem uh, about this drunk man who gets in a fight with the bottle of whiskey he's drinking. Uh, so this is the type of literature on which, um, uh, in which illustrations might appear. But generally, they didn't. Now, let's move to the United States. So in the United States, there's a different paradigm because you can have a free press. The government doesn't interfere in, in, in you know, what, you're, what you're publishing uh, at this time. So in 1870, the very first Yiddish newspaper appears. Again, this is before the great immigration in the 1880s, but there was apparently enough of a Yiddish-speaking audience that someone thought, well, you know, we can have a Yiddish newspaper. Now, interestingly, this Yiddish newspaper was funded by Tammany Hall, which was the political machine that ran New York City. And the reason that they decided to publish a Yiddish newspaper, now, Tammany Hall is not run by Jews. There are no Jews in it at all. But the reason that they provide funding for a Yiddish newspaper is because they want Jews to vote for them. So in this newspaper, there are notes that say you should vote for Tammany Hall, you know, for Tammany Hall's candidates. So this comes out in 1870. Now, when in a place where uh, you're, there's a free press and businesses are allowed to uh, proliferate without interference from the government, uh, you can pretty much do whatever you want. So in 1870, some, you know, entrepreneur publishes this Yiddish newspaper. The following year, a new Yiddish newspaper comes out because someone sees this and says, you know what, I can do a better job and I can sell more papers. So someone publishes this. And this is actually a four-language newspaper. It's called the Hebrew News. 
and it's in Hebrew, Yiddish, English, and German. And what's interesting about it is it has illustrations. And this is the first Yiddish publication or Yiddish periodical, the Yiddish newspaper that has illustrations. Now, what's funny about the illustrations is that they have absolutely no connection to the text. <laughs> but the, the publishers saw these, they, they saw illustrations in other American English language newspapers, and they wanted to provide their readers with something that looked like the newspapers that they saw on newsstands that were in English. So they, they found these plates at the printers, and they included them in their, uh, in their texts. So um, as more and more Jews begin emigrating to the United States, you wind up with all kinds of different publications. So the first successful weekly Yiddish newspaper begins publishing in 1876. Um, this is not it. This is, this, is also, this is also from 1876, and this is the first time that uh, a Yiddish newspaper has illustrations in it that actually correspond to the text. And this is an 1876 uh, edition of a newspaper called the Yiddish Zeitung that is entirely about a murder trial in which uh, a man by the name of Pesach Rubinstein uh, murdered his, a woman who was his cousin, his housekeeper, and also his lover. Uh, and he's the first Jewish murderer in America. Uh, and it's a, it's, it was a huge story. This is obviously the Yiddish version of this, but uh, it, articles, a, a multiple, hundreds of articles appeared in every, virtually every, every newspaper in America on this trial. It was kind of like the OJ trial of 1876. It was really uh, a very big deal. Um, as time goes on, this is from 1886, uh, you wind up with uh, Yiddish newspapers that begin to really look like, they really begin to resemble Yiddish newspapers, or I'm sorry, English language newspapers and other language newspapers that uh, you'll find in America. And so you have articles with images, they correspond to the text, they're, they're, you know, the, this press is growing, um, and it's, uh, it's becoming a phenomenon unto itself as you have more and more Jewish immigrants coming to the United States. Is that a Sephardic Jew on the right-hand side? With no. Of a head no. Okay. So, uh, so how many... Can any of you read or speak Yiddish? Sure. Just out of curiosity? I you can. Okay. So what's funny is, like, I look at this and I can read this. So I'm thinking everyone can read this. No. You know, I just, I just, you know when I, I just assume everyone knows Yiddish until they tell me otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, so this is not a Jew at all. This is Sultan Abdul Hamid II of Turkey. This is the Sultan of Turkey. Um, so uh, this is, and below him, below this is an article about Turkey. So that's why they have a, a picture of him. And what was the year for this? This is 1886, September 10th, 1886. It's actually, and you can see it in English right oh, here. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, these Yiddish, now, cartoons and comics exist as sort of single panel political cartoons. They don't appear too much in daily newspapers of this period, but in the 1880s, they begin to appear more and more. And as printing technologies uh, improve, you wind up with more and more imagery in periodicals. And so at the same time, you wind up with different magazines that are published with very beautiful illustrations. 
And so these are some examples. The Puck was a well-known humor magazine uh, uh, that had really stunning cartoons and illustrations. And these were places where um, uh, cartoons first found a home in the American press. Uh, you know, these were public, weekly publications that were full of funny stories, uh, funny poems, and all kinds of uh, funny, funny political and social images. Now, unfortunately, magazines like Puck, and there were, very, there were a number of others, there's one called Judge, there was one called Life that wasn't connected to the Life magazine that, that, that you're familiar with, with all the photographs. Um, but unfortunately, Puck magazine and all of the other American uh, humor magazine all had anti-Semitic cartoons. This was a standard practice. Now, they didn't just have anti-Semitic cartoons, they had, um, you know, anti-black cartoons, anti-Chinese cartoons. The basic nature of American culture at this time, and also the basic nature of popular entertainment, was to make fun of different ethnic groups. Blackface was the most popular form of entertainment. Um, there was also a form of entertainment um, that was similar to blackface that they did with the Jews. Actors put on fake noses and black beards and performed on stage as these kind of stage Jews. They did it with Italians. They did it with Irish. Uh, it was, you know, any kind of ethnic minority was bitterly mocked uh, in, you know, in the press and on stage in America during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, so within Puck, within these humor magazine, magazines, you have all kinds of anti-Semitic caricatures. They're, they're, they're very common. You also have the phenomenon of um, postcards. So imagine sending a postcard like this. You know, people did it. This postcard I own. I bought it on eBay. And it was used. On the back of this postcard, there's text. Someone sent it to, like, a friend of theirs. And it's shocking to us today, but in that day and age, this was just part of, like, they thought it was funny. It was part of, you know, popular humor. And it's, you know, it was just a really very common phenomenon. Um, you know, you have this same thing. This happens to be a broadsheet, you know, that you would buy or hand out. And this is, you know, this is horrific. It's, uh, oh you know, it's, the poem below it is, is just really talks about how awful the Jews are. Um, and it's got this really, you know, very disgusting caricature. Um, you also have, more often than not, they're, the, the, uh, they're meant to be funny. They're meant to be humorous. So this one, you know, mocks Jews for being cheap, uh, mocks them for having big noses. Um, and so this is a case where roller skates, this is in the early part of the 20th century is when roller skates first become popular. So in this case, the Jew is too cheap to buy two roller skates. He only buys one, and he, he, you know, he puts it on his nose. Um, but this was part of popular humor at the time. Um, this is a bit dark, but this is a book of um, Hebrew song parodies. And you can see right here, it says, the best Yiddish stories told on the vaudeville stage. And this is an example of what I referred to earlier about, about actors putting on you know, putty noses and hats and, and fake beards. And I don't know how well you could see it, but this is one of these actors. His name was Ben Welch. He wasn't Jewish, um, but he was one of the more famous, um, famous you know, Hebrew stage performers. And there are all kinds of these things. All, they, they publish all kinds of joke books um, you know, with these you know, anti-Semitic jokes, um, yeah. Better? 
Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, this is fine. This is great. So yeah, this is terrific. So here, let me go back to this just so you could look at this. Maybe you could see a bit better. Um, thank you, incidentally. So yeah, this was, this was a very significant phenomenon. Uh, you know, Hebrew yarns and dialect humor. Uh, Yiddish yarns. Uh, now, this is, this is interesting because when I show this to college students, they don't get the joke. So what you have here is a Jewish, Jewish man, and his back pocket is an insurance policy. Oh. Here, in case of fire on a shelf. Or oil. Okay, no. You know what this, you know what these are? You guys are even too young to know what these are. Those are smudge pots. No, like. they're ink wells. Oh, ink they're ink wells. So what he's doing is he's pouring ice water in an inkwell that says fire extinguisher on it. The implication is that he's got, he's got an insurance policy on his home or business and that, he's, that when it's going to get set on fire, these inkwells don't have enough water in it to put out the fire and he'll be able to collect the insurance money. This was a phenomenon known as Jewish lightning. Yeah. Uh, and so this is, you know, this is reflected in... Uh, you know, in this, in this image. And they go on and on. There are, you know, there are lots of these. It's just, uh, uh, you know, there are dozens and dozens of books like these. Now, it's interesting. So this is, this is uh, from 1881. Now, 1881 begins the really mass Jewish emigration to the United States. And so what's interesting about this image is you have Uncle Sam, you know, standing on this rock, parting the Red Sea and welcoming all of these Jewish immigrants who are surrounded by waves. They're here, you can see oppression, oppression, intolerance. They're making their way through, you know, waves of, of oppression and intolerance to freedom in the United States. But the caricatures are what, you, what we know as traditional anti-Semitic physical caricature. So while this, while, while this image um, is not, you know, it's, it's pro-Jewish immigration. It's saying that, you know, oh, the, the United States, Uncle Sam is welcoming all of these Jewish immigrants, you know, and, and bringing them out of intolerance and oppression into freedom, but they're still portrayed in this traditional manner uh, because this was the only way that cartoonists portrayed Jews during this period. Um, now, another cartoon from Puck, and not all of them are, you know, support the idea of immigration. This one is also from 1881, and it's called the New Transatlantic Hebrew Line. And it says at the bottom, for the exclusive use of, in quotation marks, the persecuted. And what you see here is a boat or a ship that's full of Jews. And they, they, they're using this sort of thick-lipped, dark-haired, big-nosed, anti-Semitic caricature. The sails of the, of the boat make a kind of Star of David. There's fake Hebrew written on the side. The bow of the boat has a Jewish face on it. I don't know if you can see this. And there's a Jewish fish in the water. So it's a completely Jewish affair. But the implication here is that it's for the exclusive use of the so-called persecuted. It's questioning whether or not Jews are actually persecuted in what in Eastern Europe, is, which is where they're all coming from. So I would say that this is an anti-Semitic uh, cartoon. 
Now, what's interesting here, what's that? Yeah, this is yeah, this is just a bird, a vulture, eagle flying above, flying above the boat. Now, what's interesting is this came out. This was published in Puck in 1881. Now, in 1880, uh, in 1884, the first Yiddish daily newspaper begins publication, uh, and more and more Yiddish newspapers begin to appear. You have suddenly hundreds of thousands of Jews entering the country every year. And the, the first Yiddish, the first successful Yiddish weekly, Yiddische Gazetten, published a special issue for Passover in 1884. And they created a humor page. They, wanted, they published a bunch of humorous poems and they published the first Yiddish cartoon in history. And the first Yiddish cartoon in history is this. It's the same cartoon, but they changed it. So let me just go back to this one. You see New Transatlantic Hebrew Line. That, that's gone. And now you have Lashona Haba'ah B'Yushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. Uh, here it says Degel Machane Yehuda. It's the, uh, the flag of the camp of Judah. This is all something new that they put in. Uh, this fake Hebrew is left, and here it says, in English, direct to Palestina, or in Yiddish it says, direct noch Eretz Yisrael. Uh, and what they've done is they've taken an, oops, what they've done is they've taken an anti-Semitic cartoon and made it into a pro-Jewish cartoon for Passover. Now, in addition to changing some of the captions, they also added this whole long text to it. And what this is, this is a long poem about, about how important it is that the Jews begin immigrating to Israel. So from an anti-Semitic cartoon, they created a pro-Zionist cartoon. But they continue to use these, you know, these sort of faces, these sort of, this sort of imagery, because that's what existed. Now, as time goes on, you have more and more Jews in the country, more and more Jewish publications. So this is the first uh, uh, illustrated Yiddish newspaper. It's called the New Yorker Yiddische Illustrated Zeitung, or the New York Jewish Illustrated Journal. It's the first um, place that, met, that cartoons drawn by Jews for Jews ever appeared. And so this is just one, this is, I'll show you one example. So what this, what this, uh, shows is um, this man is a shadchan or a matchmaker and he's uh, come to serve uh, a wealthy man and his daughter. So the shadchan comes in and says, uh, my dear sir, I have a, an excellent match for your daughter. And in Yiddish he says, I have a, I have a very good match for your psile. In Yiddish the word psile means young woman, but literally it means virgin. So the man who's not particularly well-educated in Hebrew, and psil is a Hebrew word, he, this man who's not particularly well-educated, he, he, says, he says, hey, listen, you know, don't dare call my daughter psila, you must call her mademoiselle, because he's, you know, he's a wealthy man and she deserves the respect of being called mademoiselle, which is you know, something fancy. And so the Shadchan replies, I'm terribly sorry, sir. I didn't know your mademoiselle wasn't a basile. Mm. 
So that's the kind of, you know, this is the kind of humor that's, that's, that's going on in the Yiddish press at the time in this, you know, these first Yiddish cartoons. Also around this period, the late 1880s, you begin to have more and more Jews getting involved in politics. Uh, this uh, is a cartoon that appeared in the first Yiddish socialist newspaper in New York. And it shows the czar's head on a rooster's body. And it was published for Yom Kippur in order to uh, correspond to the custom of Kaporis or Kaparot, where the day before Yom Kippur, Jews wave a chicken over their head and then slaughter it in expiation of their sins. So here they're saying that it would be, uh, it would be a good thing if someone killed the czar. Um, so that's, that's, what they're, uh, you know, that's what they're going for here. Now, in 1894, uh, Der Yiddish Puck, or the Hebrew Puck, this is uh, uh, the first Yiddish humor magazine, begins publication. And uh, it's one of the first places that original cartoons uh, drawn for, by and for Jews comes out. Uh, this, oops, sorry. This first cartoon here, it was actually published in 1894 on Thanksgiving. And this first cartoon has to do with Thanksgiving, and it shows a Jewish peddler being pelted by rocks and garbage, who's saying, I don't know why they call this Thanksgiving, but I'll give thanks if I make it through the day alive. So it's kind of a tragic, it's not a, such an uplifting cartoon, um, but it shows the sort of position of the Jew in, in society. Now, this magazine only lasted about a year and a half, and it failed in part because they didn't want to, the, the man who published it didn't want to pay artists for original cartoon art. So what he did instead was he took plates that were already at the printer that were from other magazines, and he just made up captions to them. So this is a cartoon that shows a woman talking to her housekeeper and her soldier boyfriend, uh, explaining to her that she, she doesn't think that he's a suitable match for her. This is not a funny story. It's not a funny joke, and there's nothing Jewish about it. And so this was, this was not appealing to a Jewish audience in any way, and so the magazine eventually went out of business. Now, I don't know if you're, is anyone familiar with the Forward or the Forwards? The Forwards was the biggest and most popular newspaper in the history of the world. Uh, and it, um, this is one example of an early cartoon in the Forwards. Uh, this is from 1902. It, the cartoon is called the, the Power of Women. And it refers to an event in 1902 when uh, the people controlling the meat industry, the kosher meat industry in New York, raised prices uh, by 17 cents a pound. Jewish women of the Lower East Side were not going to have this, and so they began to picket kosher butcher shops. Uh, they broke their windows. They uh, broke into butcher shops, brought the meat out into the street, and burned it. Um, causing riots, and they lowered the prices of meat, uh, and as a result, so this this reflects you know this these events, and as a result, it's called the the power of women. Now, a lot of Yiddish publications. This was a daily newspaper called the Varheit, uh, and a lot of these publications simply took cartoons they saw in other newspapers and reprinted them with Yiddish captions. Uh, the, you know, the notion that, um, you know, th there were Jewish artists that could, that could draw cartoons hadn't really taken hold yet. Now, to go back to Europe, uh, 
1905, there was, a, there was a revolution in Russia. The revolution failed, but as a result uh, of the revolution, they had to, they had to uh, give certain press freedoms. And as part of these press freedoms, a lot of satire journals were published in the Russian Empire. This is the first time that ever happened, and a lot of them were illustrated satire journals. So these are examples of, of Russian magazines uh, of this period, uh, and there were probably about 400 of them published between 1905 and 1907. Uh, but you also had the phenomenon uh, in Yiddish of these magazines being published, uh, these kind of revolutionary uh, politicized magazines uh, in Yiddish in the Russian Empire. So just, I'll just say this is called the Besom or the Broom, and it's, it's, you have this sort of, oops, you have this character here with the broom and the idea is that he's gonna sweep all the corruption out of government. Um, this magazine is called Der Shegetz. Um, mm. Shegetz is sort of like a delinquent, delinquent boy. Um, you know, it shows uh, a, a czarist minister's head on, on all of these skulls, you know, sort of you know, very anti-czarist uh, magazine. This one is called the Bee, Die Bean or the Bee. Um, and it shows, uh, uh, in this case, this is called the Jew and his political parties. And you have all of these different Jewish political parties, which were really a new phenomenon. Um, you know, Zionism was new. Uh, the Bund, Jewish socialism was new. There, was all, there are all these new political parties. And the Jew is represented by this skeleton. Uh, indicating that you know the Jew and his parties were a, a weak phenomenon. The skeleton could easily be pulled apart, uh, and that's what's happening. You see all these political parties pulling it in different directions. The idea being that, that it's going to collapse. But what's interesting here is that, and I don't know how well you can see it, but the the skeleton is represented by a big Jewish nose. And what's interesting here is that. In spite of the fact that all of this anti-Semitic caricature represented Jews with these big noses, the Jews did it themselves as well. But they did it in a context where there's nothing anti-Semitic about the cartoon. Uh, it just represents Jewish issues. Now, if anyone's concerned about the idea that um, Jews are not supposed to draw images of the human figure, the second, the second commandment holds that you, you know, thou shalt not make graven images. Uh, one of these satire magazines, Der Shegetz, put this notice on the back that says you should not make gra graven images, you know, at the top. And then right here it says, don't be a smart aleck and don't print cartoons. So they were aware that this was not a Jewish tradition. This was not something that Jews generally did, but had suddenly begun to do in pretty large numbers. Oops. So this period marks uh, uh, the period when, when Jewish cartooning becomes part of Yiddish literary life or Yiddish life in general. And you find, you wind up, in the first decade of the 20th century, you wind up finding cartoons in all kinds of publications. And a really interesting phenomenon occurs in Eastern Europe in which humor magazines get published for holidays. Holidays were obviously a day off for Jews. And you know, after going to synagogue, if they went, they could go home and had time to read. So uh, they created humor magazines specific to holidays. And all of the titles of these magazines had to do with the holidays. 
So here's one for Rosh Hashanah. It's called Der Shoifer, or the Shofar, the Shofar, for which you blow in Rosh Hashanah. This one for, for Yom Kippur is called Kaporis, or Kaparot. And this, is, this, re, this references um, a dispute between editors of two different newspapers, two different Yiddish newspapers in Warsaw. Uh, this editor on the bottom, his name was Shmuel Yatskan, he, um, he accused this editor, who was very religious, of, um, of eating pork on Yom Kippur. And so this editor started attacking him in his newspaper. And so this is all represented by him schlugging Kaporis with him and this editor crapping on, on him. They're, you know, they're, everyone's getting their revenge. Uh, so what's interesting about these magazines is the cartoons in them all reference traditional Jewish practices. So the first Yiddish cartoons have to do with issues in Jewish life. So uh, this cartoon is called uh, ticket, uh, prayers for tickets and shows a Jew in front of the largest synagogue in Warsaw and, which, and it says um, it says uh, you know dear God how do I get to you uh, and it's a Jew without tickets and this synagogue was the synagogue of the wealthy in Warsaw and they were known to have guards outside and if you didn't have tickets you couldn't get in they wouldn't they would, they would actually the guards would actually kick you out Right, it's nothing new. It's nothing new, but what's interesting is you, people don't expect Eastern European Yiddish-speaking Jews to have engaged in that. They think it's a, a newer phenomenon, but it's really, it's really not. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. You know, so for each holiday, you have, you know, you have cartoons that reference the, the customs of that holiday. So here's, some, here's someone, you know, sounding the shofar, blowing the shofar for, for Rosh Hashanah, but there's someone sitting in it. So these happen to be two political enemies. This man is Yitzhak Greenboim, and this man is Noyach Prilutsky. And he's a Zionist, and he has a political party called the Folkists, which is, not, which is a non-Zionist party. And so they were politically opposed, and he's, he's you know, blocking the sound of the, of the shofar. And this actually references um, a traditional story that if you uh, try to blow the shofar and it doesn't work, it means that Satan is blocking it. So that's, that's, this is an, actually an ancient story. Uh, you also have uh, all kinds of cartoons you know, that reference these, these customs. Here are two Jews blowing the shofar. Um, both, out of each shofar, you see the word Yiddish coming out. And these were two representatives of Yiddish school systems that were in opposition to each other. And so what it shows is sounding the shofar and the Yiddish school is falling apart. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like while you're you know, making noise, your, your school systems are collapsing. This is Tashlich, the tradition of going to the river on, on Rosh Hashanah and emptying out or going to a body water and emptying your sins out of your pockets. Uh, in this case, it's a Hasidic man whose sin is literally falling out of his pocket. It's uh, a young woman. Uh, this is a custom that no longer takes place very much. It's called Malkus or Malkot. It means beatings. On Yom Kippur, before you entered synagogue, Usually the, uh, the uh, shamus of the synagogue, the, the assistant of the synagogue, would whip people 
before you entered the synagogue. This was, this was a tradition, and this is what it references. But the caption says that, it says, in my old age, I've become a modern man. I let my wife whip me. This references uh, Kaporis, this, you know, the custom of, of waving the chicken. But here you have a Jew hugging the rooster uh, and saying, it's, you know, it's terribly sad, but we share the same fate. Meaning, and this just references the difficult, this is a cartoon from Warsaw, and it references the difficulties that the Jews had there. This is how an atheist uh, performs Kaporis. And you have an atheist blessing the rooster, saying, you're wonderful. I should be the Kaporis for you. Uh, and what this, in fact, references is the fact that uh, a lot of Jewish progressives at, the, at this time in the 1920s were, had become vegetarians and were no longer eating chickens. This is also uh, the atheist over eight on Yom Kippur. Um, what's interesting here is this references a phenomenon in um, both New York and in Poland, especially in Warsaw, leftist groups would have uh, eating festivals on Yom Kippur and they would give out free food on the streets to, but only to Jews on Yom Kippur because the idea was that you, they wanted you to break the holiday. So that's what, uh, that's what this references. Going on to the next holiday, for Sukkot, uh, this is called the Sukkah is in danger. And what you have here, this is, oops, what you have here is a bunch of Jews sitting in a Sukkah with all their different political newspapers arguing, and outside is counter-revolution. And so what it shows is that, the, that the, the Jewish Sukkah, the Jewish building or edifice is in danger because they're, not, they're arguing amongst themselves and they're not paying attention to the danger that lurks outside. Also for Sukkot, this is uh, not a political cartoon, but just sort of a fun one about a man and a woman who are in love, uh, and he, she's the Esreg, and, she, and he's the Lulav. And they're both represented physically by, uh, by the, what they're supposed to be. Um, yeah, I'll skip this one. But every, every holiday, as I said, every holiday has its own, uses its own uh, customs for Yiddish cartoons. It became a very common phenomenon. For Hanukkah, you have this. You also have this. This Hanukkah shows all of the top Yiddish writers as the lights of the Hanukkah menorah. Um, this has all the political part of the Jewish political parties as the lights of the Hanukkah menorah. Um, you also have here, this, this, magazine, this humor magazine was published for Purim. This is different examples of Shalach Monis or Purim gifts that different political parties should be given. Uh, this one is also for Purim. Um, this is a man who's going to, going to synagogue on Purim, and in his hand is his grogger, his noisemaker, which is actually his wife. So there's, actually, a lot of these cartoons tend to be very sexist, um, and that was sort of the, the nature of, of, part of the nature of humor at the time. Uh, this is also another Purim uh, cartoon uh, that shows, it's called uh, Anti-Semites Throughout History, and it goes from Haman through the medieval period through anti-Semites of, of the period. This is also Purim. Um, it's called the Literary Hangman. Obviously, uh, Haman gets hung on his, hanged on his own gallows. This is a case where a particular editor is hanging a bunch of uh, writers that he doesn't like. This for Passover. Um, you also Passover, incidentally, there are more humor magazines and cartoons published for Passover than any other holiday. Passover was really the most popular time for uh, parodies and cartoons. 
And on the left, you see something called the Haggadah of the Press. There are more parodies of the Haggadah published than any other Jewish text. Uh, it would, there are hundreds of them, maybe even thousands of them published, where they would take the structure of the Haggadah, the four sons, the four questions, the ten plagues, and insert uh, something that was relevant to the news of the day. This, this was extremely common. Um, here are two more examples. This is called um, Matzah Water and Maror. These are just examples of other um, Yiddish humor magazines. And all the cartoons also reference the, uh, the customs of Passover. This is a man um, doing beer chometz, burning the, uh, the bread at the beginning of, of, of the holiday. Um, but in this case, he's burning all the terrible things that are happening to the Jews at the time. Um, this one represents uh, the, uh, the matzah, maror, and charosah sandwich that you make in Passover. Uh, and what's happening, though, is that um, bi Jewish businessmen and, and workers are being eaten by the, um, by the Depression. This is from 1930. Um, this is another example of a Passover cartoon, and it's called The Hidden Afikomen. Can you tell me why this is, this is uh, The Hidden Afikomen? Right, so you can see a man is in the bed. The man's coming home from synagogue, and his wife is hiding a man in bed. That's the hidden afikomen. Um, like I said, you, you also have lots of cartoons with the four sons. Um, this is one example. This shows the four sons uh, being portrayed as the, the four largest daily newspapers in Warsaw. This is Heint, which was the Zionist newspaper. He's the wise son. The Volkszeitung, the, um, the Bundist or the socialist newspaper, he's the wicked son. Moment, the, the, uh, folk, uh, the more folky newspaper, is the uh, simple son. And the son who doesn't know how to ask a question is Nash Pszeglon, which is the Polish language uh, Jewish daily. For uh, Sukkot, you also had uh, the phenomenon of because Sukkot is the giving of the, of the Torah and the Ten Commandments, you have ten new commandments given each year. So these are um, ten commandments as if given by an anti-Semite, and uh, this is from this was published in Warsaw. So it's, you shouldn't publish, or you, I'm sorry, you shouldn't uh, travel on a train. You shouldn't have a beard. Uh, you shouldn't go on a certain street. Uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't speak Yiddish. Um, uh, you know, all kinds of things that an anti-Semite would complain, you know, would have complaints about a Jew. This is another example from a different year, um, from 1927. This is the Ten Commandments of, as if written by a woman on vacation who's away from her husband. And it's things like you should cut your, uh, you should get a new haircut and you should cut your dress short as well. Um, you, you know, you shouldn't tell your husband any secrets, you know, all kinds of things about having affairs. Um, I'll skip that one. Uh, okay, this one's an interesting one. This is from 1927, and it's called The Great Debate uh, uh, with, the, with the Thumbs in, the, in Soviet Russia. And this was the time after the death of Lenin when uh, the Central Committee of the Soviet Union was deciding who would be leading the Soviet Union. And so what you have here is, oops, what you have here are the, are the leaders of the Soviet Union. You have Stalin, Kalinin, Zinoviev, and Trotsky all arguing as if they're, they're dressed as Hasidim, 
all arguing over the Torah of Lenin. And, oops, I'm not, I'm not so good with this thing. Uh, and what you have here is this large caption below. And the caption below is really amazing because it is a, it's a dispute between all of them on who should lead the, uh, lead the Soviet Union. But it is a reference to uh, a passage in the Talmud that is a parody of that, uh, of that passage. And what's really phenomenal is that these cartoons were able to reach so deeply into, into traditional Jewish texts and their readers could understand them. Uh, it, you know, it, the, the fact that they were able to do this relies on a common knowledge of traditional Jewish texts that the readership had, uh, which no longer really exists. Um, this one is uh, also kind of interesting. This is called the International Chess Tournament in Hamburg, and it's from 1931, and there was actually a, an international chess tournament in Hamburg, and the caption at the bottom says, uh, players from different peoples and different countries. And you have uh, matches between all of these people, and you have this guy's from Norway, this guy's from Poland, this guy's from America, this player's from Holland, this player's from Denmark, this player's from Spain, this player's from Latvia, and this player's from Romania. But all of them are Jewish. Yeah. And uh, that was, this reflects reality. These players actually did play in this tournament and did play each other, uh, but was what was amazing about it, they, obviously they draw them here as traditional looking Jews. These people didn't really look like that, but they did it in order to indicate that all of these chess champions, all of these amazing chess players were, uh, you know, were from different places, but the, the common denominator was that they were all Jewish. Uh, within uh, the Yiddish press, you also have a lot of interesting caricatures and sometimes really beautifully done caricatures of, of famous Jews. So this is Sholem Aleichem, uh, who I mentioned earlier, and this is Yud Lamed Peretz. And these are just two examples that I wanted to show of, of you know, this type of you know, literary caricature. Now, going back to the United States, you have, uh, beginning in 1908, the beginnings of a real J Yiddish humor press. And this is the first issue of a magazine called The Kibitzer. And this is the first place that cartoons appear in really large numbers in, uh, in New York. And uh, one of the interesting issues, though, is cartoons were really a new phenomenon in Jewish life. And it, their writers didn't exactly know how to deal with them. So this cartoon appeared, and this is of a, a well-known socialist who was not religious at all, but they portray him as being religious. And... This is the caption of the cartoon. It's a bit long. You know, most cartoons have, have short captions, but here they decided to sort of have a whole story and tell a whole story about it. Now, one of the interesting things about these Yiddish cartoons is they reflect all kinds of issues that were important to the Yiddish readership, and they also reflected what was going on in society, in Jewish society at the time. So what you have here is... Um, uh, uh, Professor Schechter, who was the dean of the Jewish Theological Seminary, putting 
Eastern European Jews into a, into a meat grinder marked Jewish Theological Seminary, Jacob Schiff is oiling it. He was a, Jacob Schiff was a major philanthropist. He's oiling it, and what's coming out are rabbis with the Bible, and written, written in Yiddish, the Bible, not Tanakh, um, and someone holding a ham sandwich. So the idea is that, you know, you can't, the, the idea was that you, you can't create rabbis in America, authentic Eastern European rabbis in America. You're going to wind up with something that you may or may not want. Now, you also have the phenomenon of, um, of using holidays and customs in Yiddish cartoons in America. So what you have here is the, the, um, the mascot of, the, of uh, this magazine, Der Groyser Kundis, or the big stick, it's really the great prankster. Um, but this is this guy. He's in shul on Yom Kippur um, uh, hitting himself al chet. You know, when, when you hit yourself in Yom, in Yom Kippur and he's hitting himself, all of, these, all of these people are Yiddish writers and they want to hit him uh, for, having made, for having made fun of it. This magazine was notorious for making fun of Yiddish literary figures, Jewish politicians, and people from the Yiddish theater. Um, this is another example of, um, of how Yiddish cartoonists used traditional texts. This is based on Deuteronomy 15:17, in which it said that if a slave doesn't want to be freed, you have to nail his ear, you have to, you have to nail his earlobe to a doorpost. And so what's going on here is this man, oops, this man is Boris Tomaszewski, who's a major Yiddish theater director. And this man is Zandil Yitzchak Lieben, who's a writer. And he signed a contract with him to work for him for two years. So what they're claiming through this cartoon is that he's become enslaved to him. Uh, and, but they're referencing this sort of traditional text from, uh, from Deuteronomy. Uh, this cartoon is called what, what Would Happen If Shakespeare Went to Yiddish Theater Directors uh, Trying to Sell One of His Plays. Uh, and so what happens here is, is William Shakespeare goes to four different Yiddish theater directors and gets rejected by each one of them. You know, an indication that the, the Yiddish theater directors think they know better than Shakespeare. This is another cartoon that makes fun of Yiddish theater. Uh, this shows it all like Yiddish theater actors and directors in a circus, like perform, you know, as if it's a circus, which is the way the, the press perceived it. You also have um, a variety of different cartoons that reflect um, like Jewish life situations. So what, this is called the transformation of a sweatshop worker into a sewing machine. And so, oh, incidentally, I didn't mention this before, but Yiddish cartoons go right to left as it doesn't go this way, it goes this way. So you have a, a sweatshop worker here gradually becoming a machine. And it reflects the situation, you know, the terrible situation of, you know, Jewish workers in the garment industry, you know, working long hours and terrible jobs and in awful conditions. Uh, you know, this is how it's reflected there. This is a series that was produced in 1916 that showed Jew, well-known Jewish uh, political and cultural figures in three different uh, guises. Uh, the first one is his friends say, the second his enemies say, 
And then the last one is the truth is. So this one is Louis Marshall, who's a well-known uh, Jewish lawyer, um, early Jewish Zion, early early promoter of Zionism. Uh, this one says he, his friends say he makes the Jews shine. Uh, the second one says his enemies say, say he's Jacob Schiff's busybody. So I mentioned Jacob Schiff's a major Jewish philanthropist. Louis Marshall was also his attorney. Uh, and then the truth is that he's a self-crowned monarch without a people and without a land. This next one is another similar one. This is Emma Goldman, who's famous Jewish anarchist. Um, her friends say she's repairing the world. Her enemies say she pollutes the air. And then the last one is the truth is she's just a typically chatty Jewess. Um, so, like I said, lots of, uh, you know, misogynistic stuff from this period. Uh, this is another example of uh, a holiday cartoon. This is another Purim cartoon of the, of the gallows. And this is all kinds of different anti-Semites um, being hanged on the gallows. <clears throat> this one is for uh, uh, Sukkot, or Sukkot. And it shows two common Jews being given the Torah by Moses. Uh, and it says a Torah with no coupons, no giveaways, and no yeah. stories, and no novels. Take it back to Mount Sinai. And the reason they're saying this is because all the newspapers, all the Yiddish newspapers of, all the, of the day gave out coupons and giveaways of books and products. And they had stories and novels in them. And if the Torah doesn't have that, they don't, they don't want it. You know, also, um, like I said, all these, you know, Jewish life issues get reflected in these cartoons. And so part of immigration, uh, as part of immigration, when you came to a new country, you had to re, you know, re reinvent yourself. So, you know, in the old country here, he led prayers in shul. He was a cantor. But in America, he's an Italian tenor. Shades of the jazz singer. Right, exactly. Um, you know, this one, uh, you know, the, the grandfather and the boy are at the table, and it's switched here in the second one, but it says they're trading lessons. The grandfather teaches his grandson the Aleph Bays, and the grandson teaches his grandfather the ABCs. And that is really true. That th This is how it worked. Um, you know, the grandparents taught kids tradition, and the kids taught the grandparents and the parents English. Um, there are lots and lots of cartoons that are related to immigration issues. This one from 1909, uh, the caption of it is, if Columbus arrived during the Taft administration. Uh, and it, and uh, what's happening is President Taft is not allowing Columbus into the gates of Ellis Island. Uh, and the reason is because President Taft instituted a policy where immigrants could not enter, enter the country if they did not have $25 with them. And most immigrants did not have $25 was a fair amount of money then. And for penniless immigrants, they didn't have it. So this was a huge problem for Jewish and other immigrants. And so this is a cartoon that reflects that, that problem for Jews. Now, in um, 1921 uh, begins a period where, they f where the American government first begins to legislate uh, anti-immigration quotas. Uh, and these quotas were directed at Jews and Italians. Um, in, uh, so in 1921, this first begins, and there are, there are many, many cartoons that reflect this issue. So in this case, um, oops, sorry about that. In this case, um, 
you have uh, a new 3% quota instituted, which reduces the amount of, of immigrants coming to the country from a given place. Uh, so it says the immigration official shows the new 3% law to a wailing woman labeled immigration who's locked out of a gate marked new edict and says, I can't allow more than 3% in. So this was a huge problem for Jews who wanted to come into the country, who were stuck in Eastern Europe and uh, were, were no longer able to get into the country. And like I said, there are, there are many of these and a lot of them use the, the you know, the Amer typically American imagery. So in this case, um, you have a prison guard uh, leading the Statue of Liberty who's in chains into a prison. Um, and you know, he says, come inside my daughter, you'll, uh, you'll catch a cold in there. And so immigrant Jews, you know, most of them, the vast majority of immigrant Jews came into the United States on boats or on ships that passed the Statue of Liberty on the way to Ellis Island. And this was, the Statue of Liberty became an incredibly meaningful symbol to them because it represented the, I mean, it was, that's what it was meant to do, but it really literally represented the freedoms of America to them. So when the government began to legislate anti-immigration policies, this was very upsetting to the Jews. And this is how they, this is how they reacted in cartoon form. So this is another example, uh, the international ball game. So what you have is Europe pitching a ball marked immigrant to the United States. And Uncle Sam is shown here with a baseball bat that's marked with 3% quota, who's about to hit it back. Um, and so this one is, is you know, marks, shows it even, in even marks in more stark terms. This one shows, uh, you know, this, he's, this man is marked Jewish refugee. And the caption is, there's no place, there's, uh, there's no place to set one's foot down because all over the world, there are knives sticking up. And on each of these knives is the name of a different country that won't allow Jews in. And this continues through 1924. This 3% quota that they instituted in 1924, um, that in 1921 becomes even more extreme in 1924. And in fact, in 1924, they reduce it to a 2% quota and it reduced Jewish immigration to the United States by 90%, leaving Jews in an angry Europe. And we all know what eventually happened to those Jews. So this was the, re the you know, these were the reactions of the, um, you know, of the Yiddish press to these quotas. So, and often they were very, you know, they were very creative reactions. So this uses the tradition of the burning of the chametz on Passover, um, you know, when you burn the bread at the beginning of Passover, uh, and what it has, it has, it has Uncle Sam and his wife, um, you know, burning all the terrible things that are happening to the country and to the Jews. So, um, you know, they're burning corrupt politics, oil swindle, high taxes, bribery scams, and, um, you know, she's holding even more hard-heartedness, Ku Klux Klan, anti-immigration laws, and Fordism. And what Fordism is, Henry Ford was one of the biggest promoters of anti-Semitic um, issues in the country at the time. Uh, and this one shows, um, uh, this was published for the 4th of July. And so what it shows is um, uh, uh, a, a woman marked uh, the Declaration of Independence, and it's her birthday, and it says, uh, She's she's shackled she's shackled with a ball and chain that says they're 100% Americanism, 
and she's representing the Depth Declaration of Independence. She's languishing in a cell as the guards labeled Ku Klux Klan jingoism and reaction say, God damn it, she's still breathing. This was the anti-immigrant atmosphere that existed in the country at the time, and the largest immigrant group at the time was Jews, and that's who they were opposed to. So this is what you know, prompted people like Henry Ford to create the Dearborn Independent, which was his newspaper that printed the uh, protocols of the elders of Zion and all kinds of other terrible uh, anti-Semitic um, uh, materials. Now, if you've noticed, now, how many of you read comic strips as kids or as adults? Okay, still do. You know, I've shown this lecture to college students. They don't read comic strips. They don't read newspapers. It doesn't, it's not, you know, it's not something that exists anymore for them. So what I haven't shown you up to now is Yiddish comic strips. Everything I've shown you has been single panel uh, cartoons. Uh, usually political cartoons or, you know, cultural issues. So there were a small number of Yiddish comic strips. And uh, these started in around 1912, 1913. And this is one of them. This was a daily comic strip called Gimpel Banish Darshadchen, which is Gimpel Banish the Matchmaker. And it's about an old world matchmaker who's trying to ply his trade in New York. And so you have this, you know, you have Gimpel Banish, uh, who um, sees this uh, couple who's fighting, uh, and they're fighting because he was a couple who were his clients, and he set them up, and they're complaining to him that the, he made a, he made a terrible match. They're fighting all the time. He you know he he did a bad job, and they want their money back. He says, "I can't give you your money back. There's you know this is no you know no refund policy." And so what happens is, is they begin to beat him up and they beat him up and they, they, really, they go away happy because they finally agree on something. There's another example of Gimple Banish and Gimple Banish sees a man who he's trying to get, he's trying to get as a client for a long time. And the man says, uh, oh, Gimple Banish, I, I, I no longer need your services. I got married and she's a wonderful woman. She cooks, she's, she cleans, she does everything for me. She's really wonderful. And Gimple Banish says, wow, that's fantastic. How did you find such a fantastic woman? And he said, it was easy. I married my housekeeper. Um, you know, this is just another one called Barrel Bedroom, the Border. Uh, you know, this man's a boarder, and he's, um, uh, he's always complaining to his uh, landlady that there's not enough hot water. And um, she says there's going to be hot water. But it turns out that she's doing the dishes, so he gets in the tub. Again, no hot water. Not all these cartoons are so fantastic, but they're just examples of what existed. Um, this is what the forwards uh, funny pages looked like, uh, and just to give you an idea of, what, uh, of how it appeared. So you have a lot of poems and funny little stories and jokes, but also all kinds of cartoons uh, that reflect all sorts of issues. The forward also, from 1915 to 1920, the forwards had really uh, terrific cartoons. Um, this one is called Hitz, Schwitz, Oichmiravitz, which means, um, you know, heat, sweat, it's a joke to me. And what this shows is people, sleep, people outside sleeping on the sidewalk. And this is something that your parents and grandparents probably did. Uh, there was no air conditioning at this time. 
And so people slept on fire escapes. They slept on the roofs of buildings. They slept outside. Uh, and this is just something that, uh, that reflects that, that world. Um, this is a cartoon that, um, that, sh that references the custom of Schnadern. Does anyone know what Schnadern is? No. Just out of curiosity? Um, okay, on the high holidays, it was a tradition, and it still is in some synagogues, to auction off uh, Elias, yes. to auction off Elias to, to be able to read from the Torah. So this is a cartoon that references that. And what happens here, though, is one man buys all the Elias, and then he sells them off at a profit. So it's kind of, it's very, you know, there are not a lot of cartoons about this phenomenon. So this is sort of an interesting um, cultural document. Uh, this is um, a cartoon about a man who gets hired to be the cantor on, uh, on, Yom, on, on high holidays at a synagogue. Uh, but the problem is, is he doesn't know Hebrew. Um, and so he's working with the choir boys to try to figure out what to read. And finally, he can't figure out the Hebrew, so he begins singing Ma Yiddish Mama instead. <laughs> this cartoon also references cantors. So in this case, and as, remember, they go right to left. So this cartoon is captioned, and the cantor rattled. So in the first caption, you see the cantor singing, and the caption says, the congregation loves it. This cantor has a voice like a lion. He's incredible. Everyone is thrilled. By the third panel, he begins to stammer a bit. And by the fourth panel, what happens is he, the cantor is really stammering. And the shamus comes over, pulls his talus to the side. And it turns out that it's not a cantor at all, but it's a Victrola covered with a talus. <laughs> and what's interesting here is that in, around 1904, 1905, some of the first Jewish recordings to be published on, on records were cantorial recordings. So this references an, an interesting question. Can you listen to this? When can you listen to a cantor singing the traditional liturgy? You know, would it be acceptable to listen to this in a synagogue? Um, you know, probably not. But this was, you know, this was a possibility. Um, then there were some other cartoons. This is from a newspaper called Die Zeit from 1920. This is a cartoon. This is a, a long-running daily cartoon about a sweatshop worker who was sort of a down-on-his-luck character named Charlie Smachste, which means Charlie, how you doing? Uh, and he's greeted by his friend, how you doing, Charlie? And he said, I'm, not, I'm doing okay. I'm looking for a job in knee pants. And his friend says, you know, knee pants, there's no work in knee pants. Um, and uh, Charlie, said, Charlie says, I know, but I got tired of being unemployed with pocketbooks. So it's, you know, it's like a sweatshop worker joke. You have to kind of be in on that. Um, this is another example of, uh, of one of these, you know, what, why are you so sad, Charlie? Uh, and he's saying the unemployment, I've been unemployed for so long, Mendel, it's terrible, it's, it's, it's not good, it's not good. Um, uh, and he says, um, you know, but when you, when, you were, when you were employed, when you had a job, you were, you were sad also. Um, and he said, yeah, but now because of the employment, because of the unemployment, there's no one I can borrow money from. His friend says, I see the point. 
So lastly, this is the last one I'll show. This is a cartoon from the Freiheit, which was the Yiddish communist newspaper. And this shows uh, Abe Kahn dressed as a woman. Uh, Abe Kahn was the editor of the Vorwärts. This shows him at the top of the Vorwärts building, which was the first Jewish skyscraper ever, ever built. It was a 10-story building on East Broadway. Uh, and it shows him with a pan in his hand screaming. And it's, the caption is, and she talks. Uh, and what this references is one of the most popular uh, columns uh, of the Forwarts, which was called Yenta Telebenda, uh, which was about a woman named Yenta who was a terrible gossip and got into all these kinds of, uh, you know, sort of embarrassing and funny situations because of, because of what she did and how she acted. Uh, and they're sort of portraying Ab Khan as, uh, as this character. Incidentally, that's, if you're familiar with the term Yenta, mm -hmm. that's where it came from. So the, the Yenta is just a Yiddish name. It's a woman's name. It, there, there used to be no value judgment attached to it. It was actually a nice name. And Yenta, it comes from, uh, it comes from the French gentil, which means nice. And before this column, Yenta Telebenda, uh, it was just a regular name. But because of this character, it was transformed in, into a, a character with negative characteristics. And people to this day use Yenta as, you know, to uh, you know, portray a, a, a garrulous woman. Gossip. Right, a gossip. So um, you know, I've shown you really a lot of material here. Um, it's sort of a, a travelogue through Yiddish cartooning, how they began, uh, and Yiddish cartoons continue up really through the 1960s in the Yiddish newspapers, but as the Yiddish newspapers begin to disappear, um, the cartoons also begin to disappear, and now the, they can only be found on microfilm and in archives, but they reflect a wide array of attitudes that the Jewish, community, the Jewish immigrant community had toward a huge array of issues ranging from immigration, Yiddish theater, politicians, uh, daily life, you know, virtually anything. And what's so fascinating about them is how they, uh, uh, how Yiddish cartoonists took what began as an anti-Semitic phenomenon and really made it their own and created, you know, authentic Jewish art and humor out of it. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to take them. Uh, okay. Was there any opposition to the offensive cartoons back in the... Of the 1600s? You mean opposition on part of the Jews? Yes. Uh, not that's been recorded. I mean, I mean, you can I, you can imagine if a Jew saw something like that, they would surely be offended. Mm -hmm. But it's um, uh, it's there's there's no evidence that you know Jews were were you know. They didn't speak up. I mean, I think I think I think it would have been potentially dangerous for them to uh, them to you know publicly oppose these sorts of things. I think it's something that they just sort of, you know, tried to ignore as best they could. Why, why would the uh, Jewish cartoonist portray the Jews with the big nose yes. and, and, and to help the anti-Semites? Okay, so they're not helping the anti-Semites, no. but as I said, the paradigm, the, the, the visual paradigm for Jews were Jews with big noses. But the context for, and, and the eth, cartooning at the time was very ethnically based. 
So people drew different ethnic groups uh, the same way. So in the Yiddish press, sometimes you'll find a, a cartoon of a Chinese person who has narrow eyes and a long braid because that's how they saw them portrayed in the English language press. Uh, Jews drew Jews that looked like the caricature of Jews because that's what existed. That was the only paradigm that existed. So, but for instance, when you had Jews being drawn as caricatures, if it was a, a famous writer or a politician, they drew them as they looked, although with caricatured features. But if they were trying to draw someone who just simply looked like a Jew, they'd often drew them with a large nose or a beard or with some kind of visual reference point that did portray them as a Jew. Now, the context of the Yiddish press is in no way anti-Semitic. Looking at these cartoons today, if you don't understand the context, you might think they were because it shows a Jewish-looking Jew. But there's nothing inherently anti-Jewish about a big nose. I mean, I have a big nose, and it's not anti-Semitic. It's just the way I look. It's, only, it's, it's all in the eye of the beholder. If someone thinks that I look Jewish, then okay, I look Jewish. But, and the same thing goes for the cartoons. It doesn't, it, it does, there's no real value judgment on a particular shape or size of nose. It, it doesn't, it, it, it all has to do with the context and the caption and what the, what the cartoon is trying to describe. It, it seems to be anti-Semitic and it seems to be derogatory. I mean, it, it, if, you, if you don't know what's happening in the cartoon, I mean, in this cartoon here, would you say this is an anti-Semitic cartoon? Well, she's got a great big nose. Okay, but Ab Khan in real life had a big nose. So you, you can't, you know, you, 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 you can't, like if you were to give him a small nose, it wouldn't be an accurate caricature. You know, that's just the reality of caricature. And it's, it's an extension of reality. It's an extension of visual reality. The problem is that anti-Semites created created caricatures of Jews that focused on this, but the context of those cartoons, the captions and the, and the situations they were put in were thoroughly negative, where this cartoon is only negative toward one man, Abraham Kahan, not all Jews. Well, That's the difference. Once, you show, once the anti-Semites have made a point of that, regardless of whether it's one person or 20 people, it still stands out. Well, it stands out, but the, the, the reality is that only Jews are reading these papers. Gentiles aren't reading these papers. They can't. They don't read Yiddish. So they're not even seeing these. It's only for a Jewish audience. We also see it with our eyes today in our right. history. Right, sure. We look at that, and we are horrified, and we're horrified because it's coming around again. Right. And so it's a second level of reality. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's to describe ourselves. Right. When you're looking at this material, you have to look at it as if you're a reader of the day, and not, you know, in light of 20th century history. Think about what we saw on television when we were kids, and we listened to the Milton Berles, and you know, how many of us knew about Fanny Bryce? Sure. The, the Yiddish theater, and much of it was humorous and wonderful and evocative. This is also negative. Well, you know, political cartooning is negative. But like I said, this... this that was all there was. 
Well, that's generally how political cartoon, cartoons work. They, they are attacking political figures. So this cartoon attacks this particular editor of a newspaper. So it's, it, it's making fun of him and portraying him in a negative light. It doesn't portray all Jews in a negative light. It just portrays him, it portrays him in a negative light. But the entire genre, just everything that we portray today is, is so very negative. Was there any expression within Yiddish cartoons that were light? Sure, of course. So the cartoons that I showed, you know, of um, like these cartoons, you know, these these are funny, silly cartoons. Yeah. They're not, you know, they were they were they're 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 reflective of of social and cultural situations. They're you know these are fun and funny. That's what they're meant to be. Yeah. Um, you know, you have all they're, kinds. They're right, right, because they're 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 very pointed political cartoons, and that's the, that's the nature of that type of cartooning, and that's the and I've shown a lot of them because that's the those are the you know those represent the majority of cartoons in the Yiddish press. The Jews were very politicized and they were very argumentative. And this is reflected in the cartoons they produced. I think probably we're reacting this way because in American Judaism today, we want uplifting, we want right. inspiring, we want positive, we want to ignore or at least minimize the negative. And they didn't seem to do that. Um, um, when I think here Yiddish cartoons, I was thinking there'd be something about Superman and Wonder right. Woman. Is there anything like that in Yiddish? There, no, there are no Yiddish superheroes. Why? Um, well, first of all, the genre of superheroes doesn't exist until the late 1930s. Uh, Superman isn't created until 1938. He's the first superhero. By Jews. What? By Jews. Yes, by two Jews, Jerry Schuster and Joel Siegel. Or Joe, what? Joe Schuster. Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel. Um, yes, yeah, so, but it's not. It's obviously in English. It's not. It's not a Yiddish phenomenon. Um, but as far as I, as far as I've been able to tell, there are no, there are no super. That 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 genre um, doesn't exist in Yiddish. Clark Kent is Yiddish. Superman's kind of. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I actually I actually don't buy that theory. Well, Joel, his father. Right, well, Jor-El, but there's nothing Jewish about Jor-El. Jor-El is supposed to be um, uh, a conflation of Jerome Siegel, um, who's Jerry Siegel. It's like, you know, J-E and then E-L at the end, Jor-El. Teens and the twenties can just be rewritten with South Americans and Latin Americans. I mean, the same yes, absolutely. The, 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 the percent and yes, absolutely. The, the, the yeah, the, 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 in 1924, there was a congressman from uh, West Virginia whose name was Benjamin Rosenblum. He was a Jewish congressman. He was the son of Jewish immigrants, and he was one of the most ardent anti-immigrant or promoters of anti-immigrant legislation. I mean, I'd like to send all of those to Stephen Miller. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think he'd care. Yeah. Um, well, someday he might wake up. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, but that, but those, yes. So, so those. I mean, I think that most most Jews, you know, don't aren't familiar with or don't remember uh, the fact that Jews were also the victim of anti-immigrant quotas and anti-immigrant legislation, uh, and that there and there are certainly parallels uh, to that today. So it's you know food for thought, I guess. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community Indeed, all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.